One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Schulman, President and CEO of PayPal. And I'm here today with Jim Kramer, who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give you one All nevertheless, right. All right. Uh, Jim. Um, because Jim has a background that many of you who have seen him on TV all the time may not know about. And um, his background goes like this. He was born uh, in a suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, he had uh, uh, parents, both who worked. His mom was an artist. Yeah. Dad was a small business owner. Um, and they instilled a work ethic in Jim from a very early age. They would wake him up at 3.30 in the morning Pop it uh, to get going. Um, he sold ice cream at Veterans Stadium uh, for Phillies uh, games uh, when he was young. Uh, he then um, applied himself, got into Harvard, something that I did not yeah. get into, rejected twice from there, I might add. And then Jim um, got his uh, law degree from Harvard as well. He initially started out thinking that he might be a journalist. Right. He was the editor of the uh, Harvard Crimson, uh, the leading publication uh, at Harvard. And then um, he decided to move into journalism um, and went to several different places to do that. Uh, Tennessee, initially, and Tallahassee. Uh, Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Yep. Yeah. So here's another interesting fact about Jim. He moved to Los Angeles to be a journalist there. And his apartment was broken into several times. All of his belongings um, uh, were stolen and he had to live in his car. And then um, Jim was always interested in the market, in investing as well. He was trying to figure out how to make a living as well, how to make some, uh, some money given he was living out of his car. And um, he would live stock tips on whenever somebody would sure, call him. Machine. Right on his answering machine, he would leave stock tips. And uh, he um, got a job at Goldman and then started his own hedge fund. Right. Ran that for 14 years through ups and downs. But over that 14-year period, had an annualized return of 24%. Yeah. Which after fees. Is after fees, uh, which was uh, an amazing performance. And then obviously came into the things that we know right. Jim for today. Uh, the host of CNBC's Mad Money a uh, best-selling author, a small business owner. Yeah, his and own I've got restaurant. a bunch coming. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch coming. Yep. And he just, uh, um, basically, Jim calls it uh, like he sees it. Uh, he lives his values, and we want to talk about that. So, Jim, welcome uh, Thank to the you, show. Dan. Never Thank you, Dan. Thank you very so, much. So nice to have you here. Thank you. Uh, this is an honor to be here, honored to be on the same podcast stage as you. You've done remarkable things. Uh, I know that the show says it's not about friends, it's about money, but some things transcend that. Absolutely. And you transcend Thank you. Thank you. So let's start a little bit, uh, Jim, with some of your values. I mean, early on, early on, 
you had a work ethic instilled in you. Right. You went through numerous ups and downs yes. uh, in your career. Can you say a little bit about what some of those driving values are for you and how they've shaped you as you've gone through your career? Well, some are good and bad. I remember getting off the bus in fourth grade and I got a B and my father, and this is too rough, my, my father said, what is with you? Dave, Laura, Barbara, none of them got a B. They all got A's. My son gets it and it was like, well, you know what? That shapes you in a wrong way. But it shaped me to be scared that always someone was better. Uh, my sister and I always share the same thing. And we, we talk about this endlessly, about how we were instilled with an ethic that was not right. Because you could never live up to it. But we always tried. We could never live up to it. My mom instilled me, on the other hand, she was an artist and she also worked at a gift store. My mom instilled the idea that you must be an artist. You must be creative. And these were the tensions in my life. Go make the money and go be creative. Because at the time that I was growing up and the time that I got out of college, those were mutually exclusive. And the great thing about today is they're no longer. Yeah. You can be an artist and be creative and work at PayPal. I mean, there's always someone trying to challenge Venmo. I always think it's hysterically funny because my kids use Venmo because they like emojis and they like to express where they've been. They don't even know about these other things because they don't mean anything to them. I mean, if I worked here, I remember when John Rainey, your great CFO, was showing me the emojis and I just said, well, that's game, set, match. People can do whatever they want, but I could work at PayPal. You can be creative here. So the intersection does happen. And I wish it happened earlier in my life because I felt you either made a choice to be creative and poor or to work really hard and have no soul. And that was a terrible dichotomy that doesn't exist anymore because now we have people like Dan and companies like PayPal that say, if we want to be great, you must be creative. And that's a blessing. Uh, now, of course, there's a lot of companies that are being left by the wayside because they don't understand that. And I can't recommend their stocks because they don't understand it. But the ones that do, take a look. The performance of their stocks, and they're not gunning for that, but the performance of the stocks is far better because they're attracting better people who want to be creative and don't want to be constrained to just a spreadsheet and to a bank account. Yeah. It's an interesting point because um, we talk a lot about this inside of PayPal. Um, which is that companies are evolving now and I think actually have a responsibility, actually a moral responsibility to step up and address some of the issues yes. of our time. That we have to have a purpose, we have to have a, a mission that employees believe in and are passionate about because you can attract great employees yes. as a result of that. You attract great employees, you serve customers extremely well, you serve customers very well, you'll do well by shareholders. And so this idea of companies having a social responsibility, of having values that really matter. I'm curious, Jim, because you've been, you know, somebody that so many people, 10 million people a month look to, a uh, million Twitter followers that you, uh, that you have, that look to you for advice and counsel. Has your thoughts about companies evolved? Because, you know, at one time, you know, the maxim for a corporation was, you know, your sole responsibility is to deliver optimal shareholder value, you know, maximize profits. And today, I often think that 
it, companies need to be more. As you look at companies, how do your values and how do your thoughts impact stocks that you recommend or companies that you look at? Well, I, I now believe that I'll tell you my major focus right now. I know it sounds very uh, like minutia. It's Delaware state law. I think Delaware state law is the enemy. It is Milton Friedman. It's a belief that maximizing show, every, every decision must be about maximizing shareholder value. And that was supposed to be the long-term way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's short-term, it's destructive, it attracts the wrong people. And this is literally the fundament of where I am right now is to say, we gotta stick it to that law, which is by the way, the law of the land because companies are all located in Delaware and it's where they're incorporated. And really start thinking that the long-term view is to have the ethos, the values, the purpose. These are things that conflict directly with the bean counters who cannot for the life of them think why these things matter because they are directly opposed to profit. And what I'm saying is they're directly opposed to the next quarter, but they are who, what companies they are that are gonna survive and thrive. So I've evolved from the point of view of thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, do you really wanna come on my show and talk about sustainability? To being now every interview, what are you doing about the environment and diversity and equality? Because I know you will fail if you don't care about it. Against that is the Delaware law, which says, says, no, you got to maximize. And maximize is code for we don't give a damn. We're never going to pull out of North Carolina. That's going to hurt our earnings. And, and what's amazing is, is that the decisions that you make truly are not business decisions and yet are very much resulting in better business. And it's remarkable because it's so different from the way it used to be. I was saying to Dan uh, off, off camera that my daughter's a great ambassador for PayPal, uh, not because she necessarily used it, but she found it immediately because of Amazon, but because of what she did in North Carolina. She says, okay, I am now going to champion PayPal. Now, remember, this is a payments company for heaven's sake. I mean, it's a payments company. I mean, when people say, well, look, I'm not, I don't have to think about sustainability because you see, I'm in the box business. I'm like, are you kidding me? It is your God-given ability to be able to make it so plastics destroyed. I mean, it is not, whatever business there is, there is always something that allows that business to be better, a better citizen, a better global citizen. (laughs) And if they aren't, then all the good people are going to go to the other place. And I just think that people have to be thinking about it. And I always find the ones that have the lowest per PE, the lowest price journeys multiple, are the ones that don't care or are only giving lip service. So it's a rather remarkable thing that what's happened. If you want to get a big valuation in the market, you have to do all the things that we talk about. Democratization. What are you doing to help the small business person? What are you doing to help the so-called housewife become important? Uh, 50% of the marriages end in divorce. What are you doing about the woman who is then left with nothing? Are you helping them? These are things that, these are things. How about healthcare? What are you doing for healthcare? Are you helping? Because we have a ridiculous system in this country where only the rich can have healthcare. My daughter lives in a bad zip code, a bad zip code, so she can't get healthcare. What kind of world is that? That's not the PayPal world. And that's one of the reasons why people will do anything. They will go through walls for PayPal. And it's a payments company, for heaven's sake. But it's democratization of payments. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think we think very similarly uh, about this. That I think that the... Our moms were the same, huh? 
<laughs> they were. I'll give you a story about that. You, you talked about that B. I, I was an okay student. As you probably know, I got rejected to every college I applied to. So that tells you a little something. But when I finally did get into college, I came home with a report card one time that had three A's and a B plus. Best ever, best ever. And what did she say? What happened with the B what plus? What happened to B plus? Yeah. How do people do that to us? Why did they do that to us, Dan? I don't know. Why did they do it to my kids? (laughs) Exactly. So I, I, you know, Jim, you were mentioning um, this uh, um, idea about profits and purpose, and I think that's a false duality. I actually think if you have purpose, then over maybe even the short term, but certainly over the medium and long term, you drive more profit than you would otherwise because – our country, uh, I think the world's economy, depends on businesses actually stepping up yes. and addressing some of these societal yes. ills. Well, because government has about. left us as being, government's become quite an abdicator of, of the responsibility. Our country in particular, government doesn't, government's trying not to be important. Incredible. Well, I think that this combination of private and public has to work together because that's the way that we drive our economy. That's the way that we drive financial health. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think it's the underpinning of our democratic system as well. So, So. look, I I deal with all the utility companies and uh, my initial reaction was reactioners, right? Reactioners, they have to be. Do you know that offline, all of them, uh, cannot believe that we have a government that favors coal. They have been working so hard. Jimmy Carter was said that we were the Saudi Arabia coal power plant lives for 40 years. So you can imagine all the coal plants were built in 1979. Think about when it is now. They have to figure out whether they should refurbish them or close them. The government wants them to refurbish the coal plant. The executives want to get rid of it. Why? They have children. Mm-hmm. They have kids. Their kids have grown up to be teenagers and in their 20s, and their kids are mortified by their fathers. I wish there were there are no women CEOs and utilities that I know of. And, you know, our kids have chastised us into trying to do what the earth needs. And thank heavens. I mean, look, if it's not, if you, you know, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, you have, you have nieces, you have nephews, you have family members. You get together on Memorial Day, and what are they talking about? They're talking about the island of plastic. In the Pacific. Pacific. They're talking about why are there pipelines through the country everywhere? And how can there still be coal? And what are you doing for the environment? And how is it that we start, we have no equality, abortion. How crazy is that? Equality, men and women. This is what people talk about. Everybody in their families has people who you welcome. I mean, I went to hear the Pope. I went to hear the Pope uh, three years ago. And... uh, it was incredible. The Pope talked about not shaming the people in your family who are gay. The Pope, uh, you know, that hardly an institution that you would think necessarily embraces change. And yet we have a government that thinks that that's ridiculous, that, that the Pope is wrong. I don't know. Pope's trying to move an, an institution that for years has fought that one issue. And I just think that how can these things be still on the radar screen, you know, how could we still be reaching the wrong conclusion in this country? Wrong. You know, I'm talking about objective, wrong. I'm not talking about subjective truth. I'm talking about objective truth. And these are things that every company has to be thinking about. Yeah. 
Well, we say uh, inside, we, we quote Justin Trudeau's dad inside the company, which is that diversity is a fact. Diversity is a fact. Okay. Inclusion is a choice. And to me, that's such that a powerful, said? yeah, it's such a powerful statement. And to me, this idea of having as one of your core values as a company or as an individual that we're inclusive, that we don't discriminate against anyone uh, for either their religion, their color, their sexual orientation, because that to me is a human value. It's not a red value or a blue value. It's a red, white, and blue value. It's an American value. And to me, that is something that I think we can all stand up for and say that not discriminating against someone for whatever for whatever reason is something that can make a company so powerful because it embraces diversity of thought. And when you have a more inclusive company, one study after another shows that you have a company that outperforms others that aren't. Yes. And so- Yeah, yeah. we have a rest, we have two restaurants. Uh, one of them is, is called Longshoreman. My wife was the general manager for the first seven months, she just got a GM so she can get her life back. and. Uh, you know, when she looks at the resumes and who she hires, uh, she talks endlessly about how, okay, well, someone's incarcerated for selling marijuana. It's not illegal anymore. How about those people? Let's get, let's hire those people. Well, you know, this is inclusive. You, you, we had, uh, we, we have found over and over again that if you are colorblind and sexual blind, your company's going to be successful. The discriminators fail. And this is, again, what you talked about, the false dichotomy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, this is also what I keep running into are people like, uh, let me give you an example, Mark Benioff. I, I love Mark, but someone accused him in this organization that women were underpaid for men in the same job. At that very moment, he could do one of two things. He could say, I pay the people right, or he could look and see what women were making who had the same title as men. And he realized he was wrong that day, and he just pressed a button and all women made the same amount of money as men. He could have argued, no, you know what? I just, I feel what we pay is what we pay. But no, he recognized what needed to be done. And look at how he is the highest price earnings multiple stocks, been an unbelievable performer. Look at you guys. I mean, you, look how much better you're doing. And it's, and by the way, the great thing is it's not why you're doing it. It is nothing to do with the stock. It has everything to do with when I speak to Denny, he's talking about how many, you, know, you have these competitors, and they're all yapping. And Dan's talking about something bigger. He's talking about 2 billion people who need to have a bank account so they can then become somebody. It, 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 you know, they are somebody, he says, I'm not trying to be pejorative, but be, be, be able to advance More themselves. More productive citizen. The yeah. productive citizen. And, yeah. and that is not, you don't set out to say, you know what, they're 2 billion times X. He goes, no, no you say, you know what, I have, it, it, no. our company has the ability to change things. I have a, <laughs> I have a cousin. Oh, my God. Okay, so my cousin, he went to Columbia Law and Yale. He was captain of the volleyball team and stuff. And he's a great guy. And uh, he went to work for the Peace Corps. Um, oh, boy, his mom was so scared. He was, uh, first he was in Malawi, and then he got transferred to Angola. And the uh, UNITA was fighting him in MPLA, and he went to Royal Dutch. And he said, could you please give everybody money so we can stop and clear the mines from the farms, Okay. Uh, and he got a truce, and then he went to Darfur, and he bargained with the warlords, okay? And then he went, he ran Doctors Without Borders for 15 years, and he won the Nobel Prize, okay? 
And I meet that guy. He's the only goddamn guy I'm jealous of these days. I just, that's who you should be jealous. Jealousy's a bad thing, but that's a guy who has led his life entirely. I mean, it would be fat. Yeah, he has no money. And he's like 54. He's like saying, Jim, can you, you know, what can I do? What can I do now? I had to retire from Dr. Supporter. And when I saw him last, he had just, he said, I just uh, had a cholera epidemic in Nigeria. And I said, how did you do? He said, I'm fabulous in cholera. I'm unbelievable collar. This is my third collar. And I think to myself, there's other than Mark, uh, we all try to do the right thing. And, and unless you're a professional good deed doer, what you need to do is you got to find a company like PayPal. So you can at least become and do something that you're not going to win the Nobel Prize. Uh, but you can be somebody who has the same values as someone who uh who wins the Nobel Do Prize. Things Isn't that, that you're amazing? proud of. Yeah. Do things you're proud of. Yeah. And in the old days, it's like, I, I, he used to come in and he had just, he was living in Khartoum for a year. And he said, what are you doing, Jimmy? He said, I said, I just got the biggest account in history, the history of Goldman Sachs. I brought in Johnson & Johnson. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, I know, but like, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, well, no, you see, I just brought in Jay and J. He said, no, I mean, like in real life. I said, well, that, that's, that, that's my real life. He said, oh my God, you gotta get a life. I said, but I'm a, I'm successful at Goldman. You know, he's like talking with a high pitch. I'm like, just, no, go find a job where you can do good. And, and you know, he's early on and that was right. And now everyone's followed in his footsteps, but uh, it, you can still make money. You don't have to be poverty stricken. Yeah. But I always remember that conversation where I had thought I had done so great. I brought in J&J and I hadn't done anything. And I think that you guys are uniquely, you're not trying to bring in J&J, you're trying to bring in a billion people. Yep. A yep. billion people. I mean, can yep. you imagine two billion people? I mean, what an honor. What an honor. Yeah. And we do our show. We say, okay, what did we do today? How did we t- teach people? What did they learn? Have we helped people? Have we, we were at Pinterest. And I'm like studying like a demon for Pinterest. And I see, I realized, I said, holy cow, they're, they're good. They're a force of good. They're good. And my, my staff is laughing at me. He's like, no, they're good. They're doing things. They're empowering people. They're doing, and it's like revelatory. When you see that, it's like, yes, they're going to be successful because their ethos is to empower people. And as soon as I hear that someone's trying to empower people, I have a winner. I got a winner. You're empowering people. And what an amazing thing to try to empower people. You don't have to say to my cousin, hey, I brought in J&J, and he laughs at you. You can say, listen, I'm empowering people in Malawi, just like you did. Absolutely. Just like you did in Malawi, yeah. I'm empowering people. What a remarkable thing to be able to do that and have a career. Yeah, it really is fulfilling when you can yeah. do both those. So, Jim, you um, have had a personal brand for a long time that reflects your values, and those values have obviously evolved oh, over boy. time and as I, well. I've had, right? my, I've been taken to school by my wife, by my kids. Yeah. Everybody takes me to school. Yeah. And you constantly are learning from all of that. Can you maybe, cause I think this would be a great question to, um, uh, to wind up our, our interview. Well, we can keep going. I'm actually, I'm love, not jammed. Yeah. <laughs> no, you got to run a company. But yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. It's like, because of your personal brand, you know, you're outspoken. You talk about uh, any issue. Sure. Um, you're uh, opinionated about it. Uh, you put yourself out there. Um, and as a result, you know, you can have all sorts of people that criticize, sure. uh, that come after you, that try to knock you down. I mean, the name of this show is Never Stand Still. It's 
you know, because I do martial right. arts and uh, always when you when you spar, you get hit. Sure. And it's a matter of how do you react to that? And I'm curious, like, given your evolution of your values, given uh, the ups and downs you have, like, what lessons can you instill to, to people given all of your experiences that first, you've had? First, thank you. Thank you. First, never give up. Tenacity. What a great thing. Yeah. Perseverance. These are great things. But if you don't believe in them. Everyone gets knocked down. Right. But if you don't believe in them, yeah. then you can't have perseverance. If you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe that, if you're not honest. I, mean, I remember I gave a talk years and years ago uh, at Harvard. And there were all these people sitting around. They were like second year. And I said, the toughest thing going to happen in you, to you was that you're going to go to a place and your boss is going to ask you to lie. Going to ask you to cut a corner. Uh, going to do something that's fraudulent. And you have to say, like, I'm not doing that. And to a person, they all came up to me after. They said, that'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. Well, the reaction that I've gotten from that great professor who talks to those kids was like, oh, my God. They all got to these places. Yeah. And they were told to cut corners and check off on things. And some partner would say, don't do that. Persevere. Have integrity, have honesty, and you will get to where you want to go. If you deviate from those, you will not get there. Well, I think anytime you take a stand on an issue, there are people on either side of it. Always, always. Right. And you have to be comfortable with that. You have to have the courage of your conviction um, and know that it's coming from something deeply felt, values that are mm -hmm. either part of you or part of your company. And... Um, I always try to be very careful that I'm not necessarily taking a political stand. Like I always say, like I'm not taking a, a democratic stand or a Republican stand. I'm taking a values-based right. stand. It's human and rights. Dave. I think that is important for all of us. You know, if we want our country to thrive, and we all do, right. if we want our country to stand for its values, I think being able to talk about them, stand up for them. Uh, have the courage to go do that, which you do uh, and I tried to do, uh, yeah, is do. so important. But do you ever look at all the second generation people who founded companies and what countries they're from? Mm -hmm. Empirically, you would know that human rights is a good thing. Yeah. You look at what they're, where they're from and what they've done. Yeah, I, I just am amazed the strength of the we never the strength of the country is in denial right now, and it's a shame. It's a very much of a throwback. Um, there's a great 30 for 30 called The Ghost of Mississippi about how old, you know, old Miss, you know, it was racist. Ooh. And, uh, I, you know, I think there are people who watch that right now who would say, what happened to that era? What, what, how do we bring that back? And it's like, it's insane. I, I uh, back a guy named uh, Chris Long, uh, who would play for the Eagles. And he, he, he was voted the most, uh, he, he got the, the award for the most enlightened base, the Walter Payton Award this year, which is yep. a big deal for the NFL. Yep. And I said, how do I help? And he goes, clean water in Africa. I said, done, done, how much? He goes, whatever you can do, clean water in Africa. I'm like thinking, okay, so you got a, one of the toughest guys in the world, an NFL football player. And what is he trying to do? Clean water in Africa. And I say, I you know, that. anybody can do these things. You never know where the greatness of the country is going to come from. Uh, the year before, because he went to University of Virginia, he said, Jim, equal rights in Virginia, equal rights. We're going to give money to Charlottesville for equal rights. And I'm like thinking, God, why can't everybody be like him? But they can be. They can be like you. I learned from everybody. I learned from Chris Long. I learned from my kids. I learned from my wife. Keep learning and, and, and keep believing. 
be optimistic, can't be that pe- pessimistic, but human rights, absolutely human rights are imperative and they have this weird thing, Dan, of actually working good for your company. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just this weird yeah. byproduct. It, it, it turns out to be really good for your company. Yeah. Jim, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Dan. It's so I believe to see you. in your company so much. Thank it's you. It's really terrific. Yeah. Thank you.